0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Man, I love this church. And I love Jesus, and I'm just so grateful that Jesus loves me right back. Uh, I want to pray. I just, there, there's something bubbling up, and I want to make sure that what bubbles out is the Holy Spirit and not just John getting excited, because I'm really excited this morning. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We're so grateful for the way you've already made your presence known. And I ask as we turn to the word this morning that you would speak to every heart that message that you want heard, that, that voice of heaven that will bring life and joy and health and hope and peace to those who receive it. Peter said rightly, Jesus, that you have the words of eternal life, and so we look to you and we listen, and I ask, Lord God, that you would help me to communicate what is on your heart to be communicated this morning, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Do you ever think about what Jesus was doing, like, around this time, a couple weeks before Easter? You ever wondered? I've never wondered, but this week I wondered. I was like, I wonder what Jesus was up to. So I started, started reading and I started digging a little bit. And, and Jesus spent the six weeks prior to the, the triumphal entry with his disciples in a small town called Ephraim, uh, where he was just teaching them. Much of the, the teaching at the end of the, the book of John probably happened during those six weeks. But right before he left with his disciples and went to Ephraim, he, he spent some time in a town called Bethany. Bethany is a town about two miles outside of Jerusalem, and that's the story I want to tell you this morning. So let me start reading it to you I'm going to give it to you in pieces, and then we'll kind of unpack together what's happening in the middle. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That is the weirdest line I may have ever read in the Gospels. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? So what are they referring to? In John chapter 10, Jesus was in the temple, and he made this statement that so irritated people. He said, the Father and I are one. He claimed to be God. And the people thought that was so blasphemous that they picked up stones to stone him, and he had to leave. And he went to a town... Called Bethbara, which is about 20 miles away, and laid low because it wasn't time for him to be crucified yet. But now a messenger is set from Bethany, about 20 miles away to Bethbara, with the message Lazarus is sick. So when Lazarus gets sick, his sister, Mary and Martha, they, they do the right thing. They, they immediately, well, they don't immediately, actually. By the time they, they call to Jesus, uh, he's almost dead. I mean, he's, he's at death's door. But they they. They send word to Jesus, and this is what they say, my paraphrase. They remind him, hey, you love Lazarus, and he needs you. Lazarus, who you love, is sick. If you're ever stuck on how to pray for me or how to pray for someone else, this is an amazing prayer. God, you love John, and he needs you. Now, watch your intonation, because if you say you love John, and he needs you, uh, and I hear you pray that way, we may have to have a conversation. But this is essentially what they're doing is they're, they're sending a messenger. They're praying, "God, Lazarus is sick and he needs you." And Jesus responds to the messenger who comes and to his disciples who are listening, "This sickness will not end in death." Now, spoiler alert: Lazarus dies. I mean, not, not like he's just laying there quite like. He's dead and buried. As a matter of fact, when Jesus makes this statement, catch this, when Jesus says, this will not end in death, Lazarus is already dead. How do I know that? I know that because of the timeline between when Jesus gets the news and when he shows up. It says later in this passage, we'll read it, that, that when Jesus shows up, Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. So there's about a 20-mile difference. So here's how this probably happened. Day one, uh, the messenger would have run to where Jesus was, and arrived in Bethbara On day two, the messenger would have returned to Bethany with the news that Jesus was coming. Day three, Jesus waits another day, and then he departs. And day four, he arrives in Bethany. Lazarus dies on day one. That's the way the math works. So imagine the messenger, he tells Jesus, hey, listen, Lazarus, who you love, is sick. And he hears Jesus say, this sickness will not end in death. Next day he gets up and goes, great, and he runs back to town, back to Bethany, and he, he comes huffing and puffing into town. and goes, guys, whew, hey, great news. Uh, I found Jesus. He says Lazarus isn't going to die. Awkward silence. Bro, we buried him two days ago. What's going on in here? So, Jesus says, This won't end in death. And then he says, It's for God's glory. What is happening now is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. What does that mean? What is he saying? For you and me, he's saying, Listen, God can and God will do something beautiful, something powerful through our brokenness and through our pain. That there is no area of our life, nothing that we have experienced that is out of bounds for the grace the mercy, and the power of God to be brought to bear. I have a friend named Marva. I don't know how old Marva is because it would be rude to ask. But Marva weighs less than 100 pounds. And Marva is in constant, constant, constant pain. It keeps her up at night. She can't sleep. And so every morning at about 1245 a.m., I get a scripture of encouragement from Marva. Because Marva has decided my pain will not be a limitation. If God is going to allow me to stay awake in pain in the middle of the night, I am going to use that time and my pain for his glory. Amen? Jesus is saying, essentially, this is my paraphrase, right? He's like, guys, God is up to something that, was, that is not immediately obvious. Everybody is focused on Lazarus' sickness, as they should, because sickness sucks and pain is horrible. But God doesn't look at things like this in a limited sense. God is looking at what is and also at what will be in the future. He says, I'm going to step into that brokenness. I'm going to step into that pain, that sickness, even in that death, in a way that points to my greatness. God, church, does not cause our brokenness, but he will turn it for our good. When Scripture says all things work together for the good, do you think Paul used the word all on purpose, or do you think he just had a typo? Like, it was supposed to say some things maybe, but I I unexpectedly, I just misspelled sometimes. He means all. There is no area of our lives, nothing we are experiencing now, have experienced in the past, or may experience in the future that is outside of the control of the redemptive nature of our God. There is nothing he can't speak life to, and there is nothing he can't bring life to. This is what he is saying to his disciples. It's the only reason that this next line makes sense. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Listen, my Jesus is supposed to jump into his sports car, get zero to 60 in under two seconds, and get to where I am because I need help now. But Jesus says, because I love them, and I want to do something even greater than what they are anticipating, I want to do something even greater than what they're asking for, I am going to wait, and I am going to respond on my terms in my way. And it is not because God is absent. It's not because he's sleeping. This scripture says is an act of love. He could have healed in that moment from a distance. We see that time and again. The, the centurion's servant. Jesus never even went to his house. He just healed him. Why isn't he doing it? Have you ever asked God, what the heck is taking you so long? That's an honest question. I've been like, Jesus, are you asleep at the wheel? The song says, take the wheel, not sleep at the wheel. Some of us have got things on this cross right now, and we're like, Jesus, are you ever showing up? What the heck is taking you so long? If you have ever felt that way, you are in good company. King David, Psalm 31, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Where the heck are you? How long will you hide your face from me? There are moments that we are just so agitated and so frustrated because the things that we're longing for, believing for, praying for are not happening as quickly as we expect or in the way that we are praying. Can you hear David's pain? I feel abandoned, forgotten by God. Can you hear his anger? David writes some really good angry psalms. And can I just tell you, if you feel like you need to keep it clean before Jesus and pretend you don't have feels, can I give you permission to experience anger and pain, frustration, and disappointment? The Scripture is full of people crying out to God in their frustration and in their anger and in their pain. But Jesus is so clear in this passage that his waiting, his restraint, he loves Lazarus. You know he wants to heal him. But he is restraining himself, not as an act of neglect or punishment, but as an act of love. Inaction, church, does not mean inattention. God is not ignoring us. He is fully aware. Scripture says in 2 Chronicles 16, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. If you are still waiting for God to break through, perhaps it's not a matter of inattention, but it's rather a matter of timing. And God has a perfect sense of timing. I do not always agree with him in the moment, but I will tell you, there has never been a time God has come through and I've looked at him and said
1: that should have been two months ago. I'm still mad. What were you thinking? Where were you? I always at that point, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's why. Ecclesiastes 3, 3, one says, for everything, say everything,
0: everything. You didn't have to say that one, but thank you. That was my emphasis. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Do you think God is constrained by a sense of time? No? Do you think God is guessing what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you think he's uncertain about where we're going to be a week from today? I don't think so. So if for God sees eternity past, the present, and eternity future all at the same time, and he chooses to respond in a particular moment, chances are that was the right moment. Now what I need to understand in those in-between times is that God still loves me, and God is good. And that inaction is not a sign of inattention.
1: Because in the in-between time, in the waiting time, people sit in sorrow. And it's hard. Jesus says in verse 11, who is borderline brain-dead disciples. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his
0: disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And then this, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap, right? What do we call him? Doubting Thomas, unless I see his hands and put my hand in his side. This guy was ready to go to the grave for Jesus early on. So when we get to the later passages where he's not doing so great, we'll give him a pass. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Let me tell you what I find interesting about that phrase. God plays by a different set of rules than we do. Lazarus is dead. He's not kind of dead. He's not mostly dead, princess, bride, anybody. He is fully dead. He is dead as the proverbial doornail. But for God, It takes no more effort to raise Lazarus from the dead than it would to wake him from a nap. Whatever you are facing right now, whatever you have put on that cross, whatever you are waiting for God to do, he is not waiting until he's strong enough. He's not gathering his strength. He speaks his word and he heals our disease. He says to his disciples, I'm glad we weren't there because I'm going to show you something. And what I am going to show you will cause you to believe. Now, these guys had said they believed time and time and time again. Remember them in the boat walking on the water? They believed and they worshiped him. Jesus, Peter said, I I believe you are the, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is to come.
1: When God acts and when God doesn't act, it's for our benefit. Get your head around that this morning.
0: Is there room in your theology For a God who restrains himself at times for your good. A God who does not step in the way I expect him to as an act of love. When he acts and when he does not act, it is for your good. How do I know that? Because God
1: can only do good. So Jesus waited. Because everybody's crying out, praying, Heal Lazarus, heal Lazarus. Jesus in his mind is going, I'm
0: going to show you something better than raising Lazarus. I'm calling that sucker out of the grave. Jesus knew where he was going and what he was going to do. No one else did. And so they wrestled with the questions, God, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you heal him? I've allowed this to happen, Jesus says, that you might believe. I want to say this, I want to say this so very clearly. Allowing and doing are two very different things. Hear me say that. Allowing and doing. I don't want anybody reading this passage and going, Jesus got Lazarus sick because he wanted to prove the point. Jesus has just gotten in trouble for saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And as I read the Gospels, I don't see Jesus getting anybody sick. Nobody got a cold. Nobody got COVID off Jesus. He didn't put anybody in the grave. He only calls them out. So Jesus allows this to play itself out because he is going to do something that only he can do. He's going to use this sickness to teach people something about him. What is he going to
1: teach them? I don't just have power over sickness. I have power over death itself. I don't give an aspirin.
0: I call out of the grave. I don't just comfort you when you got the sniffles. I tell sickness, I said something.
1: Easy, big fella. I tell sickness where to go. We'll say it that way. Scripture says we know in part and we see in part.
0: God sees the entire thing. There was a greater miracle about to happen than the one Mary and Martha were asking for. Lazarus was so sick that by the time they sent I mean, he was at death's door, they are asking for a miracle. And yet God was prepared to do an even greater miracle. Is there room in your understanding of God for him to do more than you could ask or more than you could imagine? As Pastor Wendy said, is there room in our understanding of God for us to lay aside our perspective, our limited understanding, and create space for God to do what he wants to do, which is beyond our understanding? Because that's what's happening here. Here's why I'm not going, guys. I want you to believe. Jesus' delay
1: was an act of love. He loved Lazarus, and so he stayed where he was for two more days. He wasn't ignoring
0: their pain. As a matter of fact, we'll see in a moment that he is deeply engaged with compassion and empathy in their pain. Everything God does is good. Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is right and good, and there's that word again, in how many ways? In all his ways, and kind in all his works. Jesus will use the challenges we face, the pain we are experiencing, to deepen our relationship with him, to help us understand who he truly is. This is what he was about in the delay. I'm not just showing off. I want you to know that I don't just have authority over sickness. I have authority over the grave. That I am the Son of God. I am the one who was to come. I am the author of life. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And so I'm going to do something that pins your ears back. I'm going to show you what it looks like for me to fully exert my authority into the darkest places in your life. I sound angry.
1: I'm not angry. I'm passionate. This is what's happening here. John eleven seventeen. 17. On
0: his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been, the tom- been in the tomb for four days. John tells us that Bethany is really close to Jerusalem, and so a number of people have come out to comfort the family. They're, they're sitting Shiva, uh, seven days of mourning, where the family and friends would gather and just remember and grieve the loss of a loved one. And they're more than halfway through this, When Jesus finally shows up. Jesus doesn't even go into town. Doesn't go all the way to their house. He just waits outside of the village.
1: Martha's like, oh, I heard Jesus is here. She goes out. The significance of him being dead for four days, we can't miss.
0: The Jews believed that after death, for three days, the spirit remained with the body. And after the third day, the spirit departed. And so they believe there was a chance of resuscitation, day one, day two, and day three. But by the time you get to day four, we're dead and gone. Jesus shows up. He waits till hope is dead and buried. There is no chance Lazarus is coming back. There's nothing in their understanding that would lead them to believe he just might miraculously come back. Hope is gone. This is game over. And Jesus shows up in that moment, and the first questions people ask,
1: Jesus, where were you?
0: And I don't fault them. I've asked him that often myself. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, And whoever lives by believing in me, excuse me, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. First thing she says, Jesus, what took you so long? This is actually a, a faith statement. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I believe you have power over sickness. I've seen you heal people. Jesus, if you had just been close to us in our hour of need, we would not be experiencing the pain we have now. You can read that as like her given Jesus attitude, or you can read that as just a statement of faith. Even now, she says, God will do whatever you ask. He says in response, It's not over, kid. Your brother's going to rise again. Death doesn't have the final word. Now, Mary understandably again, she's missing the moment. She looks to the past. Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. She looks to the future. I know he will rise again at the end of the age when everybody is resurrected. But Jesus is like, sister, I'm here in the here and now, ready to work. I am here with you in the present. I am, he says, the resurrection and the life. When he says I am, this is the seventh I am statement in the book of John. When Jesus says, I am, he is going back into the Old Testament where Moses was at the burning bush saying, who should I tell them sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. Jesus is making a God statement. God, me, I am the resurrection. I cause things to stand up again. That's what that word means. And I cause them to live. And that live is not simply oxygenated blood beating through the body because your heart's working. This is is a vital Kind of life, the, the kind of life that you and I were created to participate in with God. And he says to Mary, all of that is found in me. I am Lord over all creation. There is nothing that is beyond my control. But Mary doesn't really get it yet. He says to her, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the
1: Messiah, the Son of God. But we're going to see in a second that she doesn't yet understand what that really is but Jesus wants to show her. Like Peter. Yes, I believe you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. My Father in Heaven showed this to you. What happens shortly thereafter? Run away! Monty Python, look it up. Martha sends word to Mary. Jesus is here. So Mary comes running with the same thing to say.
0: When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That phrase means he was ticked off, indignant, agitated, not at Martha or Mary, not at those who were grieving, There is something that God feels when he sees the pain that his people experience because we live in a fallen and sin-filled world, and he doesn't sit idly back and say, I'll deal with that one day. God gets mad. When he sees the pain that his children have experienced because death has laid claim to Lazarus, he's angry. If you are facing consequences right now of someone else's sinful, unrighteous, ungodly actions, and it's causing you pain, Jesus is not sitting in heaven with his arm crossed, going, suck it up, buttercup. He's ticked off. He is deeply troubled in spirit, sounds nicer. He's mad. He's, he's full on mad. And his response,
1: where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them
0: said, Couldn't he have opened, who have opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved, agitated, angry, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Did I not tell you, Jesus said, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Mary's response is the same as Martha's. Jesus, if
1: you'd been here, it would have been okay. But you were just too far away, you were just too late in coming. Jesus becomes agitated. The people I love are being hurt pain, sorrow, loss, because
0: of the fallenness and the brokenness in this world that I love, that Jesus
1: is six weeks away from dealing with it at the cross. I confronted a lady on the, on the street
0: one day in another town, not this town,
1: because she was holding a sign
0: and yelling at people. And the basic message that she was yelling at people at an intersection is God hates sinners. Can I just tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. God does not hate sinners. God
1: hates sin. And he hates sin because of its destructive impact on people that he loves. That's why God hates sin. So Jesus goes to the tomb. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with this, and I'm dealing with it right now. And he goes
0: to the tomb, and he weeps. This is a different word. This word means Jesus comes to the tomb and he sees the sisters and they're weeping and the Jews who are weeping. We didn't read that part of the story. And there's, there's almost this explosion out of him of sorrow and then silent
1: tears. He's experiencing deep, deep sorrow. But, church, not because Lazarus is dead.
0: Jesus knows Lazarus is only going to be dead for about another 35 to
1: 40 seconds. Jesus is with you in your pain. His heart is
0: breaking for the pain being experienced by those who have felt the loss of Lazarus. This is his empathy and compassion. God sees your pain, and he is with you in it. He feels it with you. God enters into these experiences with us. David five psalms after the psalm where he's like, hey, you forgot about me. What's the deal? He says to God, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all of my tears in a bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. God, my pain, my
1: sorrow, my weeping does not go unnoticed by you. Jesus sees your pain. and So you've got a bunch of people who are sitting around, they're crying, they're so sad that Lazarus is dead. Jesus himself, tears running down his face silently, looks at them and says, roll that stone away. And Martha,
0: this is why I know Martha didn't really get it.
1: Martha, who had said, I believe you are the Messiah.
0: I believe you are the Son of God. Come into the world. Here's Jesus say, roll the stone away. And she's like,
1: "Uh, hold on. Really going to smell that. Jesus, it's going to stink. He's been dead for four days. You and I can believe that Jesus is the Messiah. We can
0: believe that he is the one who's come into the world to save us, to rescue us from our sin, and still not understand that he is the Lord over all creation. Jesus says, move the stone away because I'm getting ready to go to work. And Martha says, it's not a good idea, Jesus, to move that stone away. It's going to be really, really unpleasant. But what he says to her is, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You would see the majesty. You would see the might. You would see the power of God himself if you believe. And Martha, this is your act of faith. Roll the stone away. You move the stone, I'll bring the dead to life.
1: But often God will invite us into a place of miraculous participation. John, I'm prepared to work, but this is what I want
0: you to do. Moving the stone was a demonstration of their faith, a sign that they believed. Obedience, church, is faith in action. James says, whoop de doo, you believe. Doesn't say whoop de doo. Faith without works is what? It's dead. It's ineffective. And so Jesus invites the crowd to step into this process with him by obeying him as an act of faith. And so, my question for us this morning is there a step of faith? Is there a place of obedience? that Jesus is asking us to take? Is there a stone that he is inviting us to roll away and we are feeling the tension of God? If I do that, it might go really bad. It might smell bad. It might look bad. I might get laughed at. I might not have what I need. Is Jesus in some places prepared to do what only God can do, bringing life from something's not partly dead but fully dead, and the thing that's hanging me up, from receiving what God wants to do, is me not being willing to obey. I'm not pulling the stone away. I will tell you that every significant breakthrough with God in my life has begun with a step of obedience.
1: God, I need you too. Great, John. I'm ready to. Here's what I'm inviting you to do. Did I not tell you that if you believe? That belief is tied to their obedience,
0: that you would see the glory of God. Guys, we've got so many things on this cross that we're asking God for and believing God for. And I just want you to take a moment and listen to hear if the voice of the Holy Spirit is inviting you to roll a stone away. I'm praying, God, bring my family to Easter. Save them. They're so far from you. And as God's saying, invite them. Well, no, God, that's going to stink. Last time I invited Aunt Mabel to church, she didn't talk to me for six months. and When she did, she made fun of me. I'm not saying there is. Don't hear me saying, if you've got something up there, there's something you've got to do. I'm
1: just asking, is there? That's a conversation between you and between Jesus. If we want to see the glory
0: of God, to know him in a new way, to experience him as the resurrection and the life, it requires walking in obedience.
1: And I told you at the beginning, Lazarus comes out of the grave. Jesus speaks
0: his name, Lazarus, come forth. I read one, one commentary that said the reason Jesus called Lazarus his name is because there was so much power and authority in his voice, if he didn't call Lazarus by name, every dead person in that cemetery was coming out. I don't know that that's true, but I do know that our God is that powerful. And those who saw what God did through Jesus put their faith in him. He turned their mourning into dancing, as the psalm says. He he lifted their sorrows. And David, who in Psalm 31, verse 1, was saying, God, are you going to forget me forever, closed that psalm with these words, I trust. In your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. Why? He's been good to me. That psalm is six verses long. God didn't intervene between verse 1 and verse 6. But David, having shared his frustration with God, poured out his heart and his disappointment and his pain, choose to turn to pivot and posture himself in a way where he was confessing the goodness of the God that he was waiting on. God wasn't late in arriving, and he wasn't ignoring David's need because he's a loving God who is always, always good. And so David chose to offer praise. I want to do the same thing this morning. I believe we are walking, as a church, towards significant breakthroughs in the things that we have been long praying and contending and believing. I believe it. God, by His Spirit, is moving, He is working, and it's going to be amazing. But as we wait, I feel like God would invite us, instead of saying, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. He's inviting us instead to say, God, you are good. You've always been good. You're good right now. And you'll be good in the future. And let that bring life to our hearts as we wait for God to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or even imagine. Will you stand with me? Lord. There are a number of needs in this room. There are many things that we have been waiting, longing, praying, believing for. Some of us have seen them, so grateful for the answers we've already heard. For those of us who are yet waiting, we understand that your delay is not punishment, it's not judgment, it's an act of love. And we also understand, God, that there may be an answer to the prayers that we are praying that is greater than our expectation. We might be looking in the wrong direction. God, and there may be some things that you're inviting us to do to roll a stone away. And as we begin to declare your goodness in song, as we choose to turn our hearts toward worship, God, we ask that you would let faith rise strong, that that God, the confession of our mouth, would begin to take up residence in our heart. As we speak of your goodness, we would believe your goodness. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you
1: so much for listening.